Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. We still have plans for Christmas. It's a few hours away, but still got shopping to do, people you're going to see, presents to wrap. How many of you are going to be here on Tuesday for our Christmas Eve services? It's three o'clock. All right. I like the little zeal for that. I like that. Here's the problem with plans. <laughs> they get changed. And the Bible says that we plan our steps, but the Lord directs our path. And I was thinking about last week, uh, Pastor Dave preached the message. He did a great job preaching the wonder of his name. If you weren't here, you should go back and Watch that online, and I remember sitting through the first service, I was planning on coming back in and listening to him again in the second service, but between services last week, I started talking with a friend of mine who serves on the parking lot team, and he told me they were shorthanded. Now, I had no training in the parking lot team, but I thought, I don't usually get to do that, and it's a great thing. Like, if you've gone to church here for a while, maybe you've been a small group leader for a long time, or you, you've led in the nursery or something, you should check out, like, run the camera one Sunday, or work on the parking lot team. So I said, I'll do it. Give me a vest. Just tell me what to do. I was probably the worst parking lot attendant they've ever had, but I grabbed a vest. I went out there, and I talked to a lot of people. So I was probably clogging the parking lot up, really, is what happened. And I talked to this one guy. He hadn't been to church at Southbridge in two years. And so it was great to see him and got to give him a hug. And I saw this. I was working the, if you are in a handicapped spot, I'm really sorry. That's where they put me. And uh, I was parking this one lady. I'm going over there. I'm giving her a hug. And it's like other cars are driving by. I'm doing a bad job. But, but then after she, after she kind of went into the building, I heard this terrible screeching sound. And it sounded like someone, if you've ever heard a dumpster dropped on the pavement, it sounded like that. There was a car accident at the entrance of our church. Now, most of you didn't know. It was about five minutes into the service. And so I hadn't been trained for this, but I ran out there. Of course, Keith Williamson was in charge, like, go see what happened. So that, I ran out there. And there's this Honda Civic, this white one, it was smashed in the front end, and it drove by. It just kept going. People were honking, yelling at it. It was a hit and run. What happened was there was this couple who was coming to our church. Later found out it was one of their first times coming to our church, like their third visit to our church. Try to make a good impression, right? That's not, that doesn't usually happen. Like, what do you say in that moment? But they were turning in, and they got hit, and the more of the details were that he was actually already involved in a hit and run. He was running from that. He was drunk. It was 11 o'clock in the morning. He hit somebody over at Walgreens, was racing away from that. This person was turned into our parking lot. They hit their car, spun them around, put their car at 180 degrees from the way it was facing into the flower bed. So I run up, open the door. They're shocked, you know, adrenaline's pumping. They didn't know who I was. They didn't been to this church that many times. They didn't recognize me and said, hey, I'm one of the pastors here. I said, are you okay? By God's grace, they were totally okay. A bunch of our folks came. Police officer came, ended up catching the guy that did it, one of the, our police officer on duty, so we're thankful for him. Different people that weren't on serving in any way came up, medical people, police people. It was great. Later got a text from them saying, now we think we know. This is our church. All right, we're not, that's not the key. That's not the key to the process. But I asked Keith Williamson, who was in charge of the parking lot team, second service last week, and I said, how many major car accidents have we had? Like, does this happen when I'm up there preaching? I don't even know it. He said, this is the first time it's ever happened. I was like, 13 and a half years. I have not served on the parking lot team one time. <laughs> I calculated, I calculated, the best of my calculation, we've had just over 700 Sunday services. I served one time. I don't believe in luck. But Keith, I'm handing in my vest. I think I'm done with the parking lot team, all right? But I tell you that, I tell you that because I think about that couple. Their name's Jason and Marley. And uh, when they're coming to church, I mean, they got a plan for the day. They're just trying to find out, is this the right church for them? And maybe they want to connect with God. And then things go 180 degrees, literally, from what they expected. And I share that with you because I thought, how much is that like life? 
Like, I don't know what your plans are for your life. I don't know what you had planned at the beginning of your life. I don't know what dreams you've aspired to in your career, your marriage, friends, church, like any of that stuff. But I can almost guarantee, without knowing all of your stories, and everybody here has a story, that not one of you here has life gone exactly the way you had planned. Like some of you are married to the person you wanted to marry, but it's not the marriage you wanted to have. Some of you wanted to have kids, haven't been able to have kids. Some of you wanted to be married, aren't married. Some of you in your careers, you're in a different spot, maybe you got promoted beyond what you wanted, but maybe you didn't get what you wanted. And For everybody here, life hasn't gone exactly the way we planned. We've been doing this series called Wonder. And we've been talking about wonder, like the awe, the amazement, the majesty of Jesus Christ. We talked about kids with Christmas gifts and talked about like seeing something for the first time. Today I want to talk to you about a different kind of wonder. A wonder like, almost like confusion. As we talk about the wonder of God's plan. And as we walk through our passage of scripture, the question I want you to ask yourself today is simply this. God, what are you doing? And we're going to look at it in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 26. And so we're jumping in the middle of this chapter, Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, and what's happening is there's already been a story of a couple whose life hasn't gone the way that they had planned. For decades they've been discouraged, frustrated even, shame has been part of their story, they've been unable to have a baby. And this is in a time when it wasn't like you just decided, hey, we're not going to have kids. No, it was like everybody has, unless there's something wrong, unless you've like sinned and people think it's a judgment from God, but that wasn't accurate, but that's how people viewed it. And there's this couple, their name is Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then God visits. Now think about this. Scripture hasn't been written. A new word of Scripture hasn't been written for 400 years. Angels aren't just popping up everywhere. But an angel appears to him and says, you're going to have a child. You're old. You're too, you're beyond childbearing years. Your wife is barren. But you're going to have a baby. And you had a plan, and it didn't go the way that you thought it was going to go, but I've got a plan. And here's my plan. And here's something I want you to know today before we even jump on the text. I don't know all the details of your story, but I do know that God is sovereign over all the details of your story. And that's what chapter 1 screaming out to us in this passage of Scripture. And so they had a plan, didn't go the way they planned. God had a different plan, and it says, you're, you're going to have a child. You're going to name him John. Don't need to buy any baby books. It's good. His name's going to be John. And he's going to go, and he's going to turn people back to God, and he's going to be the forerunner before Jesus. And he doubts, and there's discipline, and there's a lot to learn in that story, but we're going to jump into the next one. But like I said, it's really a precursor to what we're going to talk about on Tuesday. It's the announcement of the birth of Jesus to Mary in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, the verses are on the screen. It says, in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, since we're jumping in the middle of the chapter here, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, we'll talk about that in just a minute, to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, the angel, greetings, O favored one. Or some of you have hail Mary, or some of you, uh, that, that she's greatly graced. The Lord is with you. She had no idea how literal that was. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern. And some of your translations say she pondered. Some even say wondered, the message, the NIV, wondered. What sort of greeting this might be? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That means he is God. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now here's the deal. I don't know what Mary had planned that day, but I know this wasn't it. Okay? My favorite quote, it might be my all-time favorite quote of any philosopher, any Bible guy, any athlete, anything like that. It's by Mike Tyson. Some of you know Mike Tyson. He's a boxer, just in case you don't know. He said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Here's why I love that quote. Because it goes way beyond boxing. It applies to our lives. It's like the couple pulling into the parking lot. They had a plan until they got hit in the rear end. And all of us had a plan until life happened. And we went out there. The Bible's more eloquent in the way that it says it. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9, it says, The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Listen, I don't know what Mary had planned. I know this wasn't it, but I do know this is exactly what God had planned. In fact, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it was on the screen while we were worshiping. We'll put it back on the screen. But when the fullness of time, and some translations translate that, at just the right time, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to fulfill the law. He's, he's going to be the answer to all the promises. And just, but why didn't you come after the wedding? Why did you come here? Why did you come to her? And some people talk about how Mary is so incredible and she's righteous. Let me tell you something. That's not said in the Bible anywhere. In fact, the Bible goes out of its way to show this is all of grace. But what we see that God is doing in Mary's story, the details are different than your story, but what he's doing is the same. I'm going to challenge you today is that he's getting Jesus to her to then bring Jesus through her to the world. And so our one big overarching point today, and there's just one, so if you take notes, you just got to write one thing down today. The one point is this, is that God is getting Jesus to you then to get Jesus to the world through you. And we see it happening here, and you see how God uses, and it's not just a Mary story, very personal details to accomplish his global purposes. He's so sovereign that he's ruling and overruling over every detail of your, even sin, in your life to ultimately get you to Jesus. And yes, even if you're a skeptic and you're sitting here today, I'm talking to you right now. To get you to Jesus and then get Jesus to the world through you. And so he orchestrates in the minute micro details of our lives, our marriages, our kids, being late for work, being in this line, bumping shoulders with these people, all of the details to get Jesus to you for unto us a son is born so that he can use you to get Jesus to the world. And sometimes it's hard to see in our own lives. It's easier to look at in somebody else's. So let's look at Mary's life in this story and then we'll come back out and we'll talk about our lives. And so here with Mary, trying to imagine what it was like to be her, but you're gonna probably have to forget what you've seen if you've seen the nativity. What you've seen if you've seen the star. Okay, forget all the, anything that you've heard, maybe church tradition, and just ask yourself, what is the, even if you go, is that what the Bible says, what he's saying? What does the Bible say? She's probably not out in a field, just FYI. She's probably in her house. The way that the words that are used for the angel coming to her is like she's in a home. And so what does it say about her here? The first thing we get is in verse 26, that where she's from, Galilee, city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, what does that tell us? Well, do you and I, if you're familiar with the Bible, or maybe you come to church much, you might think, well, that's okay, whatever. This is where she's from. Uh, if you're an original reader, you'd know well, these people that first see the story, anybody from Galilee is a second-class citizen. Because if you wanted, if you like valued the right, if you wrote on your resume for your Jesus employer, God, family, work, then you lived in Jerusalem. 
because that's where the best teachers were. That's the only way you could worship regularly at the temple. If you lived in Galilee, that's because you were materialistic. You went there to make money. So we can deduce from that that Mary's family either is not that spiritual or is so poor they had no other options. And not just Galilee, though. It was Nazareth. <laughs> we read elsewhere in the Gospel of John, there's a guy that seems Nathaniel. He eventually becomes a follower of Jesus, but when he finds out that Jesus is from Nazareth, he says, does anything good come out of Nazareth? There's nothing good in Nazareth. It's a little town, maybe a few hundred, maximum a couple thousand people in this town, and it had a bad reputation. Now, I don't know the worst town in North Carolina. So some of you, if you want to help me to be a better pastor in the future in North Carolina, come to me after the service, tell me about some you know, toxic waste dump in North Carolina that I can rail against in the future, that'd be awesome. But that's Nazareth. And when I was reading about Mary and Nazareth, I, I thought about this one time, I was at this event that was talking about ending global poverty. I showed this video of this kid that was in terrible condition. And he said, I wish we didn't dream because they don't come true here. That's like Nazareth. I'm going to tell you, Mary had, no, she may have known Isaiah 7:14, a prophecy 700 years earlier that the virgin would be with child, but not her. So here she is. And it says not only that, but it says that she is a virgin. That means she's sexually inexperienced, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And so that tells us about how old she is. So what betrothal is, and some of you might know this, you heard the Christmas story, it's like more intense than our engagement. And so there's two stages in Jewish wedding. The first one is betrothal, and you're not promised, you're not just making a commitment to one another that one day you're going to be married. It's like you're married, you're committed. In fact, they were called husband and wife. The only way you could break off a betrothal is through a divorce. But you had a waiting period where you didn't consummate the marriage. The husband and wife didn't come together. They were made pure, sexually didn't come together. And this would happen in the life of a girl when she's about 14 years old. This is my first Christmas with a 14-year-old daughter. And as I thought about that, I thought, he's not in here, but what did Mary's dad say? Because we can talk about this didn't go the way Mary planned. I'm going to tell you something from my dad's perspective. If a daughter came to me and said, I'm having a baby, but don't worry, Dad, it's God's baby. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> One fry short of a Happy Meal here. Like, how foolish do you think I am? What are you talking about? Like, things didn't go his plan. Things didn't go her plan. There's a reason why the text says she's trying to discern. She's wondering at these things. Did you notice what she's actually upset about? It's not even about the baby. It's the greeting. Like we can talk about how angels didn't appear very much. Some of you husbands here, you ever looked at your wife? You're an angel. Wives, you might have to check that comment against some biblical theology here. Like I know that you mean like she glows and she's wonderful. Your intentions are probably incredible. But don't say, if you say it today, that's going to get you smacked, husbands, all right? Because if you look at angels in the Bible, every time people see angels, the angel says, don't be afraid. So what do they look like? <laughs> don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Six wings, eyeballs everywhere, fire. <laughs> You're such an angel, honey. Quack, like, oh, my world. Careful, check your theology. But you notice that she's not afraid of the angel? She's not troubled by the news of the pregnancy. She doesn't even know that yet. What did the verse say? I told you to see what the verse says. It said in verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid. What's she afraid of? What's verse 29? But she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern, there's the wonder, the ponder, what sort of, the greeting. What was the greeting? 
But you gotta go back. What's one verse before that? Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings. Okay, that's not a big deal. Oh, favored one. That just means greatly graced. See, Mary's not in a position to be giving people grace. Mary needed grace. That's why when she sings a song later in the chapter, you can look it up on your own later, she calls God her Savior. Only sinners need a Savior. There are some brands of churches that will teach that Mary is sinless. It's not what the Bible teaches. Every person needs a Savior. Grace is when you're given what you don't deserve. There's one other place in the Bible where this language, these words are used, oh, favored one, oh, highly favored. It's in Ephesians 1.6. We don't have time to go there and unpack it, but you can write in your notes, go study it. It's being used for every follower of Jesus Christ. We've all been given great grace. We all required a lot of grace. We're given what we don't deserve. But when she realizes this young girl from Nazareth, who's, the prospects of her life, she's probably never going to leave Nazareth. She's probably going to have a bunch of babies with this nondescript husband. She's going to live and die like so many other people in her time. No one's ever going to talk about her again. What do you mean grace? What do you mean great grace? Why is this happening to me? Let me tell you what's happening. Things are not going as she planned. But if you zoom out on the story, I was thinking about that this, this Christmas, there's not a character in the Christmas story you can find where things go the way that they had it planned. It's not just Mary's dad. It's not just Mary. We don't have time this Christmas to get into Joseph's story in Matthew chapter one, but you can read that. Things didn't go the way he planned. He was planning to divorce her. That's not what happened. God had a different plan. About Herod, we talked about Herod a couple weeks ago, if you were here. Herod said, I wanna go worship the child. Why is he talking about worship? He didn't wanna worship Jesus. We know that's hypocrisy. He's trying to kill all these babies in Bethlehem. Oh yeah, the parents in Bethlehem. Christmas didn't go the way they planned. It said when the wise men showed up, that Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. That ain't what they planned. The wise men, they planned to go back to Herod, but then God did something and they went a different route. Not what they planned. We're gonna talk about on Tuesday, the shepherds, not what they planned that night. Wait, everybody we look at, it's like we plan our steps, but God directs our course. And what you see in each one of those stories, you can jump into any one of those stories, and this is true, that God's using the change of plans in their lives to get Jesus to them, and then he's using those people to get Jesus to the world. In fact, you can back up and look at the whole Bible and see that. See, our problem is when we read the Bible, a lot of times we zoom into the story, and like, what's the principle in this story? And we forget the big story, that the whole Bible's about Jesus. And so you can go to the very first people in the Bible, Adam and Eve. What happens? They need grace. They sin. God keeps his promise. You're going to die. They believe the same lie you and I believe, by the way. God's not good. He's holding out on us. And it'd go better if I did it my way. And that causes problems. But God's gracious. And he gives a promise. Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman. Sin's going to be defeated. Death's going to be defeated. And so here he is, sovereignly overruling, even in their sin. Because some of you heard me say that God's sovereign over the details of your story. And you go, you don't know my story. Either sin you committed, sin that was committed against you. Let me tell you something. God is sovereign even over sin. I'm not saying he's the author of sin, but I'm saying look at the Bible. And so then Genesis 3.15, he's talking about we're going to get Jesus to the whole world through your sin. And then you see, you take stories like Joseph and his brothers. First human trafficking in the whole world happens through Joseph's brothers. And then what does Joseph say? Genesis 50.20, you intended to harm me. It was sin. You're responsible, but God intended it for good. He over, what about Judas? You want a story about how God can redeem even sin and sovereignly accomplish his plan even through sin? 
The most wicked sin that ever happened is when Jesus was murdered. But God used it for your salvation. See, God is sovereign over every detail, even the sinful ones. You see, Adam and Eve, take, take another character, Moses. The Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus was a new and better Moses. Oh, so Moses' life was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Oh, yeah, think about his miraculous birth. And they killed all those Hebrew babies. And then all those babies in Bethlehem, and Jesus had a miraculous birth. But then God used personal details in Moses' life. After he blows it and tries to do things on his own, his life goes south, he speaks to him through a bush. So I want you to lead my people. It's the salvation experience in the Old Testament. I want you to lead my people out of bondage. And what does Jesus say? I came to set the captives free. Oh, instead of walking through the Red Sea, it's that they come to him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I come to him through the cross. And so he used Moses, didn't know the name of Jesus, and the details of Moses' life to get him to God so that he could then present Jesus to the world. And take Abraham. Abraham, you're going to have a miraculous birth. You're going to have a son, 100 years old. He tries to cheat, do it his own way. doesn't work, causes problems. But God gives him a son, and then that son willingly lays his life on the altar as a sacrifice in obedience to his father. Sound familiar? And then through the line of Abraham and Isaac, Jesus is going to come. Oh, so you use the detail. You can't get much more intimate than infertility. He uses their inability to have a baby, personal details, to accomplish his global purposes. He's doing it in Abraham's life. He doesn't Moses, but that's Abraham, that's Moses. I was reading about a woman this week and was married. Her greatest desire was to have kids. For 10 years, her and her husband tried to have kids. They could not. And then he died. Talk about sorrow on sorrow. But God used that to bring that woman to himself. And she says to her mother-in-law, your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. Her, her name is Ruth. You can read about her in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And God used those personal details in her life to get her to himself. And if you read the end of the book, just read the last few verses. It says she gets a, a, a redeemer, a new husband. She falls in love and they have a kid. And then he has a kid and his name is Jesse. And then he has a kid and his name is David. And you know what God was doing through Ruth's story? It was getting her to God so that then she could get Jesus to the world. Read Matthew chapter 1. Ruth's name's in there in the genealogy. And through the line of David. That's why it says in Luke chapter 1, we read it, and it's so easy to miss if you don't know the Old Testament. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. It's just a Hebrew name, Joshua. It means Yahweh saves, though. He will be great. That's an understatement. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. He is God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob because he was using personal details in each one of these people's stories to get them to himself so that he could then use them to get Jesus to the world. And so if God's been doing that in every person throughout human history up until this point and in this point, is it that far-fetched to think that's what he's doing in your story? And so let's come back to ourselves. Some of you here today are not followers of Jesus Christ. But I know, I know for a fact what God is doing in your life. I might not even know your name. But 2 Peter chapter 3 says that he hasn't come back and he hasn't had you stand judgment before him yet because he's patient. He's slow. Because he wants you to turn to him. 
And so he wants you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so every circumstance in your life up until this moment has brought you to this moment to give you an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the sermon. Some of you are followers of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean God's done with you. He's still working to get Christ closer to you so then Christ will then ooze out of you and allies the people you come into contact with. So Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, we wanted to die. He was so depressed, he wanted to die. But then he talks about how God comforted his heart, but it wasn't just so there's like, oh man, Jesus can be tight. No, it was like, so I can comfort other people and get them to Jesus? Read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And so God's not just working in your life, believer and follower, so that on Tuesday we can gather and, Mary, did you know? Isn't it great to be together? It's like, no. He wants you to be close with Jesus. He wants you to fall in love with Jesus because he wants to use your life to then get other people to Jesus. Do you know why? Because this world needs Jesus. And I'm not just talking about like social problems. Like you can pick a social, impeachment. And everybody's fighting with each other. Even in the church, people fighting with each other. Magazines coming out and then other Christians saying stuff and then people condemning each other. It's like, we need Jesus. But then we got abortion happening. Billions of dollars being made on abortion. Killing babies and then arguing about why it's a good thing. Racism running rampant. People then accusing the church, you don't care about people once they are born. Poverty. That's not why we need Jesus. You know why we need Jesus? God use each one of those things to accomplish this purpose because there's so many unreached people in this world that if they were to stand before Jesus today, he'd say, depart from me, I never knew you, and they'd spend eternity separated from him. Like I was doing some reading this week on the Joshua Project. You can just look it up, joshuaproject.org. And they talk about how many unreached people groups there are in the world. In fact, they say, just people groups, there's 17,094 people groups in the world. Of those, there's 7,165 that are unreached. I'm pausing for the math, people. It's over 40%. And so what's an unreached people group? What does that mean? That means this. There's not a gospel sourced by them, meaning there's not a gospel-preaching church, there's not an organization there that's preaching the gospel, it's very likely that people will be born, live their life, and die, and never hear about Jesus Christ. How many people is that? Well, Joshua Project says, their most recent stat, there's 7.67 billion people in the world, 3.19 billion of them live in unreached people groups. The Bible says that means they're going to stand before God. God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And here's how the rest of eternity is going to be for them. They're going to be in isolation, utter darkness, and constant torment. Their desire is going to be that someone would tell their relatives. Read Luke 16. And some of you, God's plan will be to fling you around the globe as missionaries or because of your company or because you went on some vacation. And because God has brought Jesus to you, is to bring Jesus to them. Others of you will stay here. But this is a reached area. According to the Joshua Project, every city in North America is reached. When people have ready access to the gospel. But what about here? Because Acts 17 says this is where we live and move and have our being. And God prepared in advance for us to live in this exact time in history you be born on your exact birthday and live in rub shoulders with these exact people. And in the triangle, there are about two million people. 
statistically, 1.3 million of them wouldn't even claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I don't know probabilities very well. If you are a math person, I'd love to hear the answer to this. But it's got to be almost impossible for you not to rub shoulders with people that are headed for a Christless eternity. And so we know that God's got a plan for you, and he uses even the difficult stuff, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's not so that he can harm you. He's got a plan for you. He's using even the difficult stuff for your welfare to get you closer to Jesus. And he's got a plan for your future. And Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that your God's mosaic is the Greek term. It's you putting all the little pieces together in your life as a work of art. It says workmanship in the NIV. Your God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works that he prepared for you in advance. He put you by the exact people that he put you by. And do you know why? It wasn't just random. And it wasn't just so you could say hi to each other. He's getting you to Jesus so they can get Jesus to them through you. So what happens though? Well, I think there's a few responses. I've got three in my outline. One is some of us miss out on this because we're fighting God's plan. That we fight God's plan. And you look at Mary, that's not what she does here. In fact, she does the exact opposite. If you get to verse 38, we haven't read yet. In verse 38, she says, whatever you say, God, that's what I want to do. That's submission. But can you imagine if she fought we see a lot of fighting through the Bible. It can be overt. Jonah, some of you might be rebels. You're, running, you're just here for Christmas. You're sitting by your relatives. You don't even want to be in church. You hate this. You're against God. You're mad at God. Maybe because of hypocrisy. Maybe just because you've got sin that you don't want to talk about, but you don't want anybody dealing with. There's lots of reasons why we rebel against God. Some people like Jonah, they're running from God. Some people like Herod, give lip service. I want to worship him too. But the reality is you want to be king of your life. You can't be king of your life and have Jesus king of your life because here's a reality, just if you want something for your notes, you cannot fight God's plan and follow God's plan simultaneously. And so some of us were doing that, the Herod thing, some of us, Pharaoh, it's like, all right, that's enough, that's enough, and our life is just these ups and downs. All right, God, I'll do what you want. No, 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 I still, hard heart. But I think most of us here, we probably fight God in a different way. We're more like, can you imagine if Mary negotiated? Some of us try to manipulate God, don't we? All right, I'll give birth to Jesus, but I need to have a room in the inn with a view. Can you imagine, like, if that was the story? Or I'll, I'll give birth to Jesus, but can we wait till after the wedding? You and I will know. We, it's a personal relationship, and we'll know. But then I won't have to deal with all these questions because she's going to risk her life when she says, I'll do whatever you say. She can be stoned to death for this, accused of adultery. Joseph's going to divorce her. Like, she doesn't know what's going to happen. It could be awful. Negotiating would be tempting. Some of us have done that. God, I'll always feel, I'll always, and you want it. And Do you notice, and I just noticed this this year, God didn't ask for permission in this story. Let me read you, and I'll emphasize the word will and shall through here. Verse 31 through 33, we already read together. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. He doesn't say like we do, hey, would you pray about maybe serving and somewhere use your gifts maybe? Here, I get, you're, you're going to do this. You will be my witnesses, he also says. And you shall call his name Jesus. <laughs> Not an option. He's going to be named Jesus. He will be great. Mm -hmm. If you read the story right before this, it's interesting that John the Baptist is called great in the sight of the Lord and Jesus is just called great because Jesus defines greatness. 
It's not great in light of. Like usually when we try to explain something, we're saying it's like, kind of, and we're giving an out. No, he's just great. He will be called the son of the most high. He is God. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Forever? That's a long time. Forever? In his kingdom, there will be no end. But what if Satan throws... This is going to happen. What if Mary says, no, it's, this is what's happening. He doesn't ask for permission. God is sovereign. And he's sovereignly working out the details of your life to get you to Jesus, to use you to get Jesus to the world. But I think what some of us do, we're even more passive. Is that God tries to do something, and maybe we even have good intentions sometimes. We're trying to help him out. You ever trying to help God out? That doesn't go well. Everybody read in the Bible. Read Abraham and Hagar. He tries to help God out. I'm trying to help you fulfill your promise, God, and my timing. There's still problems in the Middle East because of that, by the way. It's a mess. Cain and Abel, yep, you're wrong. Get rid of that brother. He's the problem. <laughs> like, you can start picking stories. You see, David, Bathsheba, nah, doesn't, every time someone tries to do it, it not only causes a mess in their life, but in the lives of other people. But maybe think of a story... My wife shared on uh, po- social media the other day, she put a post on, some of you may have seen it if you're friends with her, that she was dropping my, my fourth grade daughter off at carpool, and we told our kids, don't wear clothes to school that have holes in them, okay? You can play in those clothes, it's fine to have those clothes, don't wear them to church, don't wear them to school. So you see her at church with this, you might, you might call her out on it, it's totally fine with me. She's wearing these black pants, has a big hole in the knee, but what she did is she colored her knee black <laughs> so that you couldn't see it. And so my wife posted, if you saw this, she said, I don't know whether to like, be upset with her because she disobeyed or that to reward her because she's being resourceful. Like, it's kind of cool. I was picking her up from carpool that day, and I had seen that. And so she gets in the car and goes, hey, Janie, what happened to your knee there? She covers it up. She goes, it's a hack, Dad. It's a hack. I said, what's a hack? I knew what a hack was. There's like a hack for everything nowadays. But it's a cheat. It's a way to fix a problem. Can you imagine if Abraham said to God, it's a hack, God, it's a hack. God, we can just work this out right here in my plan. You kind of do bless that. And How many of us do that? There's a way that seems right to us. And when it doesn't go that way, when we get hit in front of the church, and 180, or marriage, or kids, or job, or life happens, you get punched in the mouth. We're, we're fighting against God when we do that. The other thing that can happen that stops us from walking in God's plan is we're too afraid. I told you my favorite quote is the Mike Tyson one. There's a second part to it that's not as popular. It says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I wondered, like, what was that? When, what was the context of that? It's a great quote because it applies to so many things, but I looked it up. And the context was he was about to go into a fight he was being interviewed, and all the sports writers and stuff were saying, you know, this guy, he's a dancer. He's going to slide side to side, a lot of lateral movement. And Mike finally just said, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth. Then he said, then like a rat, they freeze in fear. A lot of us don't walk in it because of fear. Did you notice verse 30 that Mary says, was told, commanded, don't be afraid? Of course she'd be afraid. She hadn't even heard the news yet. Fear would be the thing that stopped you from walking into this, Mary. Don't be afraid, verse 30. She's tr- troubled and wondering just about grace, much less giving birth to them as her own Savior. I mean, a tremendous fear. No wonder she wondered. 
And then I was thinking about us and our lives. I think about a conversation I was having with my oldest daughter the other day. I was talking to her about it. I said, you hear me talk about cultural Christianity and the church a lot of times. And I said, you know, there, there, there's a thing with Christians in our area where they believe all the right stuff, but they never accomplish anything for God. They'll never step out by faith because they don't trust God. They're too afraid to trust him. And so if you asked him, say, I believe Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe he lived a sinless life. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. Okay, demons believe that. The Bible says without faith, that's trust. It's impossible to please him. So I was talking to my daughter about this. I didn't want her to be one of those Christians. So she said, what's the difference between belief and trust? And I'll give you a little context here. And we had recently had what we thought was an emergency at our house. Uh, my wife and I had gone to a Christmas party and left the girls there. My oldest daughter, 14, she knows to call us if something's wrong. Well, the smoke alarm started going off, and then our security system was tied to that, so the security alarm started going off. And so she FaceTimes me, but I get this FaceTime. I don't know if you've been on FaceTime much, but it's not looking at anybody's face. It's just running around the house, <laughs> and there's lots of screaming happening. And then she's going, I don't know, somebody's in our house, or the house is on fire. I'm like, stop, what is it? And someone break in and gets the house on fire? Like, what are you talking about? I said, I'll be there in a minute. So we get home. Let me tell you the summary of the story. There was a lot of drama with a D and no trauma with a T, okay? So nothing wrong. Lots of screaming, lots of hair flying around, lots of noise. So that was the context. A few days later, I'm having this conversation with Ella, my oldest daughter, and she says, what's the difference between belief and trust? I said, all right. Well, it's like this. Imagine the other day there really was a fire in our house, and you called. And I said, I'll be home. Then you come out of your room, and there's smoke all over the hallway. Her room's on the second floor. I said, you come to the stairs, and the stairs are on fire. You can't get down the stairs. And you look down into the foyer, and all you see is smoke. And then you hear me come running into the foyer. And I say, Ella, are you there? She says, yeah, and I, and I can see your silhouette. And I said, I can see you. And she says, I can't see you. I said, do you believe I'm here? She says, yeah. I said, then jump. She said, I'm too scared. I said, do you believe that I love you? She says, yeah. Do you believe that I can see you? Yeah. Do you believe that I can catch you? Yeah. And I said, jump. She says, I'm too scared. And I said, oh, you believe, but you don't trust. Because trust is when you put those beliefs into action. That's the difference. And many of us, we won't want, we're not going to share Christ with anybody this Christmas because we're too afraid. One of the greatest fears humans have is the fear of the How is that going to go? Well, we already know it's his will for our lives. He promises his presence, Matthew chapter 1. I'm Emmanuel, God with us. Interesting, then we see that promise again at the end of the book, right after he says, go make disciples. And so you want to know if you're fighting God's plan? If you're not making disciples, you are fighting God's plan. Because it's a direct command that he gives you in your life. There's no questions. It's not fuzzy. You don't have to try and figure it out. If you refuse to do it, you're fighting. You can't follow God's plan and fight God's plan simultaneously. And some of us are too afraid. What are they going to say? What will they think? What will happen? We live in a country we know we're not getting our heads cut off. You might not get a text back. Don't be too afraid to trust him. Mary wasn't, and so she followed his plan. See, you can be too afraid, you can fight, or you can follow.
And you look at the verses we haven't read yet. In verse 34, she's received the news. Remember, he's going to be great, and he's going to rule forever. He's going to come from the throne of David. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Not that she's not willing. This is not doubt. This is a just practical question. How will this be since I'm a virgin? I've never had sexual relations. And you're telling me I'm going to be pregnant. That sounds impossible. And then it's amazing. The angel so graciously answers. Look what the angel says. And the angel answered her, and here's the answer, the Holy Spirit. Pause. You, know, you need to read the rest. There's the answer, the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.13 says, was deposited in you at the moment of your salvation. Think about that. What happens at the moment of your salvation? And some of you have given an opportunity to trust Christ in a minute. The moment of your salvation, you realize, I can't do this. Like, that's a surrendering moment. Like, the moment, the moment you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ and said, you got, I can't do this, I need you to do this for me. That was a work of the Holy Spirit. The moment you realized you're too sinful, you could never forgive your own sins, you can't make yourself right with God, I need Jesus Christ to be my Savior. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And that's when he does the work. See, he's not done with the work. That's when he does a work like taking somebody who's angry and making them love people taking someone who's lustful and making them not want to make, and there's a struggle to whether to click on the, cl- the thing and the porn, and, but even the fact you don't want to, it's an evidence of the Holy Spirit. Taking somebody who had no joy, depression, and giving them joy, somebody who's no self-control, his life is out of control, self, that's the Holy Spirit is doing the impossible all the time. So how is this going to happen? We see the whole trinity at work actually here in this passage of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the answer, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, that's God the Father, will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, there's God the Son, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You didn't ask for a sign, but this is pretty wild stuff, Mary. So look at the next thing. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, with her who is called barren. In other words, God's done the impossible in the past. You can trust him to do the impossible in the future. You don't know what those details are going to be. That's why it's faith. You've got to step out without knowing the outcome. But you know the one who holds the outcome. And look what it said next. For nothing will be impossible with God. <laughs> Amen. Or we'd all be dead in our sins. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. That's open-handed. Let it be to me according to your, whatever you say, that's what I'll do. And what about you? Everybody's got a plan until life, how we respond. Because what God's doing in your life right now is getting Jesus to you for unto us a child is born. To get Jesus through you to the world. Will you surrender to that?